Welcome to the Come Follow Me For You and Me podcast, a weekly podcast following the Come Follow Me lessons from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I'm your host, Ashley Lottanon-Singchen. I'm excited to learn and grow with you as we all learn more about following the Savior. Thanks for being here. Hi, welcome back to the Come Follow Me For You and Me podcast. Today's lesson is going to be covering Alma's, Alma chapter 23 through chapter 29, and the lesson is titled, They Never Did Fall Away. And I feel like that these chapters are packed with a lot of really great, really, really great stuff. So I think I said that every week so far, but it just seems like that they pack a lot into these chapters, so there's a lot to take away from. So we're going to get started with the introduction. I really loved the introduction of this week's lesson in the manual. And I'm going to get started with reading just the first couple of sentences that says, Do you sometimes wonder whether people can really change? Maybe you worry about whether you can overcome poor choices you've made or bad habits you've developed, or may, or you may have similar worries about loved ones. And I felt like this, I really resonated with these first couple of sentences in the introduction this week. I feel like this week was a discouraging week for me in a lot of ways. And I found myself really frustrated with like silly things that I feel like I struggle with and that I shouldn't because I, I just feel like I should have life figured out at this point, but that is not the case. So I found myself just really discouraged this week from a lot of different things. So I, I found comfort knowing that I'm not alone because I'm pretty sure I'm not right. And wondering if we really can overcome small bad habits that are taking us away from heavenly father and Jesus Christ. And, and so I'm looking forward to kind of going into further detail in this lesson and learning together about how we truly can change and how heavenly father and Jesus Christ help us to do that. So The manual goes on to say, it says, if we've ever experienced these worries, then the story of the anti-Nephi-Lehi's can help you. It says, these people were the sworn enemies of the Nephites. When Ammon and his brethren decided to preach the gospel to them, the Nephites laughed them to scorn. Killing the Lamanites seemed like a more plausible solution than converting them. I think that's a really interesting statement that... You know, I think that there's people in our lives that maybe that were like, yeah, those people would never change. And obviously it seemed like the the people who were laughing at um, Ammon and his brother and wanting to go out to teach these people were some of those people who didn't believe that people could change. But I love that it goes on and says, but, but the Lamanites did change through the converting power of the Lord, where once they were a hardened and a ferocious people, they became distinguished for their zeal towards God. In fact, they never did fall away. And I really love that. I I feel like that it made me think about, I I want to be that kind of person. I want to be a kind of person, I guess towards the end there, where it says they became distinguished for their zeal towards God and they never did fall away. I think that's all of our goal really is that we want to never fall away. And we want to be known for our belief in God and that we that we love him and we want to follow him. So I just love that. I love this this section and um, it goes on to say at the end, the last paragraph of the introduction, that maybe you have false traditions to abandon 
or weapons of rebellion to lay down. Or maybe you just need to be a little more zealous in your testimony and a little less prone to falling away. No matter what changes you need, Alma chapters 23 through 29 can give you hope that through the atoning power of Jesus Christ, long-lasting change is possible. And I think that's so powerful. That's, I think, one of the most powerful lessons from these chapters that we'll learn about is that all of us is all of us can change no matter what level of change we need in our life every single one of us can change because of Jesus Christ and I just feel really really grateful for that especially like I said after having a week where I was just feeling very frustrated so I'm excited to dive into this lesson a bit deeper I hope that you feel the spirit as you listen and that you receive some guidance of some things you may need to change as well the first section in this lesson covers Alma chapter 23 verses 1 through 5 and it's titled when God's children accept the gospel great blessings follow and the manual starts out in this section saying when the king of the Lamanites declared that the word of God should have no obstruction among his people he opened the door to great blessings for them. And the manual encourages us to look, as we read the chapters 23 through 29, to look for the blessings that came to these people as a result of having no obstruction. Um, so I kind of, I, I went through the chapters as I was reading them and kind of pointed out, I'll point out a few that I learned and I'd be interested to hear what things you learned about some of the great blessings that were found as a result of the word of God having no obstruction among the people. So in Alma chapter 23, verse 5, it mentions that thousands were brought to the knowledge of the Lord. I feel like that's one of the biggest part, like biggest blessings that I take away from these chapters is just how many people were converted um, and baptized. It just I feel like that there's so many. So I think that's a huge blessing, obviously of having no obstruction for having no obstruction among the people. Alma chapter 23 verse 6 mentions that these converts never did fall away. So pretty amazing that the people who did join the church were very solid converts, I guess is what maybe you would say in our day and language. So obviously they were prepared and ready. In Alma chapter 23, verse 18, it talks about how relationships between the Nephites and the Lamanites in the area became more friendly. And I think that's a huge blessing. I know that that's something that is not, I feel, to me, it doesn't seem like it right now, at least. It doesn't seem like everybody has lots of friendly feelings towards people. There's a lot of division and a lot of things that we just don't see eye to eye on. So I think that's a really great blessing that I hope for in our world and in my own personal life too amongst people. So I think that's a great blessing of having no obstruction to the word. Um, Alma chapter 24 talks about how thousands more were converted to the Lord because of the examples of the anti-Nephi-Lehi's. And as we know from reading the story is that they would not take up their weapons of war against their enemies. And, it's obviously a really sad story in the sense that because they would not take up their weapons of war, I said a thousand and five of them were killed. But also it's kind of interesting how because of that, so many people were converted to the Lord because of their example and their influence. 
and we'll go into that maybe a little bit, I think a little bit more later in the lesson, but that's also a great blessing is that people were impacted by the, by the examples and influence of other people. And then also in Alma 24, along with the power of their examples, I love how this chapter shows us what the power of love can do. And the anti-Nephi-Lehi's loved others, which is why they never want to take up their arms against other people. And these people, the anti-Nephi-Lehi's, as we learn, were Lamanites that were converted. And then they became, the pe- they became part of the people of God. And they did not love each other. So it's amazing to see how their hearts were changed so much because of the word of God, not having any obstruction among them. That they loved, the, they loved others so much that they didn't want to hurt them. So another great blessing. Twenty-four chapter chapter twenty-four has a lot of blessings. I'm realizing as I'm looking at my list here that it also talks about in verse eight and ten how the Spirit had softened their hearts, and that God had granted unto them that they might repent and have their stains taken away. So I guess two blessings are within those two verses. There one is that. Because the word of God was there, they were able to feel the spirit and have their hearts softened. And then a huge blessing is that they were able to have their sins taken away from them. And obviously that's something that can apply, all this can apply to us now in our lives too. But what a huge blessing, obviously, to have a clean slate and to start over, which is really essentially what the anti-Nephi-Lehi's happened to them that they did have a complete start over or do over and they were completely different people. Um, Alma chapter 25 mentions more people are converted to the Lord. And then I'll just read one more blessing that in Alma 26, we read that Ammon glories in the Lord and how joyful he is to see how the Lord has worked among people and how grateful he is that they were able to be an instrument in the hands of the Lord. So really it's a huge blessing to have when the word of God can be preached amongst people, how it really has a profound impact on other people. And as I was thinking about this, because it mentions that when the king of the Lamanites declared that the word of God should have no obstruction, obviously he was the decision maker, how that impacted people so much. I, it, this is maybe a silly like duh answer or thought, but it made me think about as I feel like in the news, church news, you hear a lot about how church leaders go visit the leaders of other nations and countries. And obviously, for this same purpose is that they want the word of God to have no obstruction. They want the, they want the missionaries to be able to go into those lands to be able to share the gospel. And so that the people can experience many, if not all, of those same blessings that we talked, that I mentioned earlier, um, that are mentioned in these, these sets of chapters. So it's neat. It was neat for me to kind of put that together that even back in the book of Mormon times, it was important that the king was on board with the gospel being shared as it is now that leaders of other nations are on board for the gospel to be shared. And it's exciting to see Obviously, when a country is opened up to the gospel, what an impact it has on the people who live in those countries. So, and then just made me think about how there's going to be a temple in China. And obviously, it's 
from what President Nelson mentioned in this past conference, it's not like a tourist temple. It's by appointment for members there. But still, what a huge step forward that is for the country of China. And it will be really interesting over the next few years to see what an impact that has on the people of that country. So I what I guess one thing also in this section, it talked about how, you know, how can you ensure that the word of God has no obstruction in your life or in your family? And I guess, first of all, I had to look up, because I, I think you know by now, I, I really love to know the definition of words. I feel like knowing the definition of words just makes it all seem, I just understand it better, which is pretty obvious, I guess. But the word obstruction means that a thing that impedes or prevents passage or progress, an obstacle or blockage. So sim- some similar words are obstacle, barrier, stumbling block, or hindrance. So I think it, so I guess how can we ensure that the word of God does not come up against any obstacle or barrier or stumbling block in our lives? And I just kind of brainstormed some stumbling blocks or some obstacles that could potentially block the word of God in my life and our life. This is obviously not an all-inclusive list. This is just some ideas that I thought of as I was as I was preparing for this. So I so I'd say I came up with four here. That one is that priorities, our priorities could be kind of out of balance. If the gospel is not our main priority, then the other priorities that we put ahead of it could be hindering the word of God from making an impact in our life. And the other thing I thought of was fears. Um Maybe we have some fears of what if we were fully immersed in the gospel and fully living the commandments, we might be afraid of what we have to give up in our life or in our family's lives, that maybe that's what holds us back from fully embracing the word of God or or hindering it in our life. The third thing I thought of was distractions. And I think that's a huge one right now. And I think that's a huge tactic of Satan too in life right now is that he wants us to be distracted. And there's so many things to distract us. I feel like that was part of my frustration this past week because I just let so many things distract me. And uh, just, yeah, I think it's so easy to just get caught up in the things of the world, whether it's social media or just Netflix or, you know, whatever it is, there's so many things that we can do that are distractions instead of focusing on the word of God. And I guess it kind of goes back into the priorities is where do our priorities lay? If the gospel is not the number one priority, then these distractions can take their, take that place. And then the last thing I thought of uh, was that there's other beliefs that we may have that might obstruct the word of God. So maybe there's certain things that we believe that make it hard for the gospel to be a full part of our lives. And maybe that's because of maybe a different faith that we came from or just different beliefs or thoughts, thought ideas that are out in the world right now. That maybe some of those things can get in the way of us fully having the gospel in our lives. So I... I'm sure there's lots more, but those are just the ones I thought of. And it'd be interesting to hear what you guys have to have to say too. But so how do we ensure that these things don't get in the way? I mean, it's, I think it's easy to identify what can get in the way, but how do we make sure that they don't? So I wanted to read, um, I guess where this 
term obstruction comes from with a verse. It's in Alma chapter 23, verse 3. It says, And thus they might go forth and preach the word of God according to their desires. For the king had been converted unto the Lord and all his household. Therefore he sent his proclamation throughout the land unto his people. That the word of God might, might have no obstruction, but that it might go forth throughout all the land, that his people might be convinced concerning the wicked traditions of their fathers, and that they might be convinced that they, are, that they were all brethren, and that they ought to not to murder, nor to plunder, nor to steal, nor to commit adultery, nor to commit any manner of wickedness. So in this situation, the word of God had no obstruction because the king had been converted to the Lord, which makes me think that in order for the word of God to have no obstruction in our own lives, that we need to be more converted to the Lord. And which goes, there's ties in nicely into our next section of the lesson here. So, the the next section covers Alma chapter 23 verses 20 excuse me Alma ch- chapters 23 and through 25 and chapter 27 and it says my conversion to Jesus Christ and his gospel changes my life so we learned in the previous section that in order to make sure that there is no obstruction of the word of God in our life that doesn't have any you know it's not hindered in any way that we need to be more converted so this section starts by saying the Lamanites who were visited by Ammon and his brethren seemed to be unlikely candidates for conversion. They were trapped by the traditions of their fathers and their own wickedness. Yet many of them accepted the gospel of Jesus Christ and made fundamental changes in their lives. As a symbol of their own conversion, these Lamanites call themselves anti-Nephi-Lehi's. And I think that this is probably obviously a well-known story among the church and maybe a favorite as well that it's just a powerful example of people changing. And as a reminder, as I mentioned before, they were converted to Lamanites and as a sign of their conversion to God and their change of heart towards the Nephites who, who had been their enemy for centuries, really that they buried their weapons of war And they also covenanted with God that rather than shed the blood of their brethren, they would give up their own lives. And in chapter 24, the Lamanites come against the people of God, which are the the anti-Nephi-Lehi's. And instead of them fighting back, they, it says that they prostrated themselves before their enemies and began to pray. And as I mentioned earlier, many of them were killed, said 1,005 of them were killed because of their faith in God. And, I mean, they weren't killed because of their faith in God. One of them were killed. I guess, in a sense, yeah, it was a sign of their faith in God as they were, because they were praying and they weren't taking up their weapons of war. But it also tells us in the scriptures that we, because of their faith in God, that we believe they went to dwell with God. And as I mentioned earlier, that because of their example, more Lamanites than believers that were killed were converted to the Lord. So, which is... I feel like a really powerful story. I this I just think this is a great story. Um, the the man wants us to reflect on our own conversion of the Lord, and I that made me think about then in one of the, uh or see in the every so I don't know if I told you in previous episodes, but in every month's enzyme, they have come follow me study. AIDS. So it says after you study the Come Follow Me lesson, it invites you to go to the 
to the enzyme and there's different lessons for each week. And in this week's lesson for this one, there was a talk that Elder Renland gave and it's called Unwavering Commitment to Jesus Christ. And I feel that there's a story he shares. The whole talk really goes perfectly with this section, but there's a story specifically that he shares in there that I feel it goes really, really well with this section. Um, and he, he talked about how that he had the privilege of dedicating, and I don't even know, I'm not saying it right, and I feel bad trying, but I'm a try, so but please forgive me in my, and me butchering this, but he says he had the privilege of dedicating the Kenosha Democratic Republic of the Congo Temple, and he mentioned how in the temple that there's an original painting entitled Congo Falls, and it's a really unique reminder to temple goers there of their unwavering commitment, of the unwavering commitment that's required to anchor ourselves or themselves to Jesus Christ and to follow the covenant path of their heavenly Father. And it, the water, the waterfall depicts, the waterfall depicted in the painting, um, calls to mind a practice that was common more than a century ago among the early converts to Christianity in Congo. And this was really interesting. I remember as I was reading it, listening to it this week, I was reminded, I thought this was interesting when I first heard it, but he talked about that before their conversion, you know, more than a century ago, many people there worshipped inanimate objects, and they believed that the items possessed supernatural powers. But after they were converted to Christianity, many made a a pilgrimage to one of these countless waterfalls along the Congo River, and such as the one that was in the temple depicted in the temple and it says these converts threw their previously idolized objects into waterfalls as a symbol to God and others that they had discarded their old traditions and accepted Jesus Christ. They intentionally did not throw these their objects into calm, shallow shallow waters, but they threw them into the churning waters of a massive waterfall where the items became unrecoverable. These actions were a token of a new but unwavering commitment to Jesus Christ. I think that's such a neat story and such a neat visual of how they were turning themselves over to Jesus Christ and how they were starting a new leaf in their life. And Elder Renlund goes on to say that people in other places and ages demonstrated their commitment to Jesus Christ in similar ways. And then he talks about the anti-Nephi-Lehi's, how they lay, they lay down their weapons of rebellion, burying them deep in the earth as a testimony to God that they would never use their weapons again. In doing so, they promised to follow God's teachings and never go back to their on their commitment. This action was the beginning of being converted unto the Lord and never falling away. Being converted unto the Lord means leaving one course of action directed by an old belief system and adopting a new one based on faith in Heavenly Father's plan and in Jesus Christ and His atonement. And I just thought of a, a little... This is like a little detour from what we're just talking about, but in a way. So this just made me remember if anyone from my mission listens to this, they'll, they probably experience this too. But I remember as in different like zone conference meetings or just district meetings, I think I did this a couple times. So obviously it was a, a district leaders, like bright idea when it came to training at these meetings, but they would have us write down, uh, they like would cut out like swords shapes on a cardboard or a shield and they had us write down what our like 
weapons of war were, weapons of war were, and I'm using quotes as I say that, or air quotes. So like what was stopping us from being like the best missionary that we could be at that time? So we would brainstorm ideas. And I like feel kind of bad saying this out loud because I hope that no one gets in trouble, but I don't know if this was really right, but we would go, I remember one when one chat one church we went to the very back of the lawn like the very very edge edge of the property and the district leader dug holes for us to put these weapons of war into the holes so i'm kind of curious i wonder if a lot of missionaries do this if there's holes all around or there's holes in the ground i guess they're not holes anymore but like if are is there essential like weapons of war buried in all these different church buildings throughout the world is that like a really common um object lesson for missionaries so i can think of two particular chapels that we or yeah chapels that we did that in the grass so again i feel really guilty because it probably wasn't okay but it was a neat representation at least of us burying our weapons of war and the things that are holding us back so um that was a side note. So coming back to the lesson here, I loved the story that Elder Renlund shared about the Congolese and, and I'm sorry if I'm saying that wrong, the saints that he talked about. And I think that all of us in one way or another have inanimate objects that we worship. And maybe it's not like how we can think, what we think of these people, how they worshiped their inanimate objects and how some inanimate objects are worshiped today. I, we, my husband is from Laos and he's, his, he got his PhD in history and it was like, a, like specialized in Thai and U.S. relations. And so as a result, we spent a summer in Thailand um, for him to do research. And I spent a summer, a few years before that in Thailand as well. But um, we saw a lot of people worshiping inanimate objects, you know, hoping that they could bring them power and good luck to their lives. So obviously that's, there's many faiths that do believe, do do that as a practice. But I think outside of that, even now, even among people who consider themselves Christians or, you know, whatever, there's objects that we put, that we worship in a sense. And I, as I was reading this talk this week, I, this talk I, I listened to and read a few times. Cause I just thought it was so just it was a really neat talk. Um, I thought it made me think about some things that take me away from God. Like what are certain objects in my life? And I think my phone is one of them, you know, and whether I don't, I'm not obviously like bowing down to it, but I, I, I guess in a way I feel like it would bring, it will bring me happiness when maybe some other things won't bring me happiness. And I, I think that we could all think of some other ob- you know, inanimate objects in our lives, whether I mentioned earlier Netflix, like the TV or computers, or just something something that just replaces itself in our life and takes us away from what's really important, but something that we think that will bring us the answers that we're looking for in life. So I've thought a lot about this week, like how do we symbolically throw these objects into these quote waterfalls because you know it's it wouldn't be really a good idea for me to go and there's lots of waterfalls here in Ithaca where we live in New York so this could potentially really happen but it it would not probably be very wise for me to take my phone and throw it into one of these gorges here in Ithaca because there's lots of good things that come from using my phone like one of them is I'm recording this podcast on the phone 
And then, not just that, but there's, I use it for work. I use it for a lot of different things. So that's probably not the best idea. And it's probably not the best idea for all of us if we have a, if our TVs, like our inanimate object that we worship, to go through, throw that over waterfalls. But, you know, how do we symbolically do that? And I don't, I don't know if I really have the best answer, honestly, to that. I think it, so I don't know if you, if anybody else has any like, great ideas, I would love to hear what people have to say about how can, how do you think we can symbolically throw these objects away so that we, they're away from our life. But I mean, there's some things that are real physical things that we could really do that with, you know, whether it's if we have an addiction to certain substances or whatever, that's something that could you know, that, that makes, I think that's more visual. It makes sense that we could throw them away or just take them out of our life. So, you know, and I, and it made me think of, you know, there's been some people in my life that were not good influences and I needed to physically, you know, take them out of my life to make my life come back more in harmony with God. And so that was one way that I potentially, I guess, could bury that weapon. Not that I'm I feel bad using that analogy. It's not that they're weapons, but just they weren't the best people at the time, I guess, to help me progress the way that I needed to progress. So, and I think that maybe all of us have had to do that with different relationships that maybe just, they weren't healthy. They weren't the best, but we just needed to have them out of our lives for us to find peace and to come back to God. So I, I think that's something that maybe I would encourage you as families or individuals to think about is how can we symbolically throw our weapons of, or I guess two things, how can you bury, what, how can you symbolically bury your weapons of war and how you can symbolically throw these objects into large waterfalls as Elder Renlin talked about. And I liked how it mentioned they didn't throw them into calm water. They threw them into, you know, churning really intense water so that they would, there was no chance for them to be recovered, that they were just going to be completely destroyed. So I like how this section of the manual ends. It says, as you ponder the changes in the anti-Nephi-Lehi's, considered how your own conversion to Christ is changing you. What do you feel you still need to do? You still need to change so that the gospel can have a greater power in your life. I think that's a great personal question for each one of us to to think about and to pray about and ponder and reflect. Um, I just, I love that last question. It says, what do you feel you still need to change so that the gospel can have a greater power in your life? I think that I have some ideas that I, and I need to pray about that some more to get some other ideas, but I would also encourage you as a family or individually to think about that too, is what do you still need to change so that you can, the gospel can make a greater difference in your life and that you can be more converted. All right. The next section is titled God is merciful and it's from a, set of verses in Alma chapter 24 and in Alma chapter 26. So this section starts that says, while the sins that Ammon and the and the Nephi, excuse me, let me start over. While the sins that Ammon and the anti-Nephi-Lehi's had to overcome were likely quite different from anything in your life, we all rely on the mercy of God. And 
I, I love that. I mean, I feel like it's true. I don't think any of us probably were quite to the extent of how Ammon and anti, the anti-Nephi-Lehi's were before their conversion, but I loved looking at the definition of the word mercy. I feel like it's used a lot in the church, and um, it can maybe sometimes just, maybe we say it without really understanding it, but so I looked it up, and I really loved what the dictionary, how it's defined in the dictionary. It says that it means compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom it is, it is within one's power to punish or harm. And I feel like reading that word mercy and then thinking about that definition is really powerful to me that, you know, Jesus Christ shows us compassion and, and forgiveness so all the time and so willingly, even though he is someone who is within his power to punish to punish us. I mean, I don't think he would ever harm us, but it's within his power to do these things. But instead of doing that, he just shows us unconditional mercy. And it's amazing to see all that happens in Ammon's life. And as well as the Antinephi-Lehi's because of the mercy of Jesus Christ. So the manual has us look at a set of scriptures to help us to show how merciful the Lord was to the anti-Nephi-Lehi's. And in Alma 24, verse 10, it says, um, And also I thank my God, yea, my great God, that he hath granted unto us that we might repent of these sins, and also that he hath forgiven us of those our many sins and murders which we have committed, and taken away the guilt from our hearts through the merits of his Son. And that's the anti-Nephi-Lehi is talking there. Of, I mean, they were not good people, really. You know, as it mentioned there, that they he, Jesus Christ, because of his mercy, had forgiven them of their many sins and, and murders, which they had committed. And so obviously, they, you know, could have been judged. And Jesus Christ had the power to punish them or to harm them. But instead of that, he took away their guilt from their hearts through the merits of him, of the, because of him, which is amazing. It makes me feel a little bit better about all my shortcomings that I didn't do those things. I mean, I obviously we all sin, but I haven't murdered anyone. And so if Jesus Christ can take, make, you know, take that away from them, then he can also take my sins and the results of those things away from me. And it goes on in 14 to say, And the great God has had mercy on us and made these scenes known unto us, that we, may, that we might not perish, yea, and he has made these scenes known unto us beforehand, because he loveth our souls as well as he loveth our children. Therefore, in his mercy he doth visit us by his angels, that the plan of salvation might be made known unto us as well as unto our future generations." And I love verse 15, it says, And oh, how merciful is our God. And now behold, since it has been so much, as since it has been as much as we could do to get our stains taken away from us, and our swords are made bright, let us hide them away, that they might be kept bright, as a testimony to our God at the last day, or at the day that we shall be brought to stand before him to be judged, that we have not stained our swords in the blood of our brethren, since he imparted his, his word unto us and has made us clean thereby. 
So I think that's so powerful. You know, they, they were so grateful for the mercy of Jesus Christ. They didn't want to mess things up again. And so that's why they buried their weapons of war. Um, and then Alma chapter 26, the uh, verse 17 through 22 have some really powerful verses as well. And I think that maybe this, we can apply this in our lives too at times where we may feel unworthy or we just feel like that we've just gone too far away or we just feel discouraged. And it says here that they said, who could have supposed that our God would have been so merciful as to have snatched us from our awful and sinful and polluted state. And it goes on to more talking about what they had done that they, you know, they went forth in their wrath with mighty threatenings to destroy his church. So again, they were bad dudes. They are, I don't know if they were all dudes, but they, they, they were not doing things that were pleasing to God for sure. And, you know, as mentioned before, that God had the power to punish them because they were doing some really bad things, but he didn't. And he exercised his mercy and sent you know, Ammon and his brethren to go and to preach the gospel to them. And they were changed as a result of that. And so I just think that's so powerful and it's so comforting and helpful for me to think too that he is merciful to me in all the ways that I fall short. And he, you know, wants me to change and he wants all of us to change. And he, he's there to, to help us to do that. So I just love it. So the, in this, the manual, it talks about what do these verses teach us about Jesus Christ's mercy. And maybe I've shared a little bit of this already, but it teaches me that no one is lost is a lost cause. No one is at all, even me, and even like some people that we could think of in our lives that we may think, like how could they ever change? Like this is, they're doing X Y Z, which is so not okay. But even they aren't lost to him, and that despite how many times each one of us messes up, he loves us no matter what. And I, I just feel so grateful for that. I feel grateful that there's always a chance to change and to be better as a result of his mercy. And this section goes on to invite us to think about ways that we have been invited to repent um, and also think about our experiences with repentance and how we have tried to avoid sinning again and the blessings have come through repentance. So obviously I think this is a personal thing that each one of us can think about because repentance can be obviously a very personal experience because who really likes to share all things they've had to repent of. But I would encourage you to look at this section to think about those things in your life. But I know, you know, whenever I have had to repent in my life, I always, I can think about that instead of feeling like the Lord was looking down on me or that he was trying to punish me or that I, feeling that he was like mad at me, I always felt, I always did, and ha- still, like when I, tr- you know, am working on repenting, I feel the renewed sense of love from him and a greater desire to do the things I know I need to do to draw myself back to him and to become one with him again. And so I think that's what's so powerful about this, about repentance and, you know, repentance and mercy go very hand in hand, obviously, that. He truly is merciful and he really does want us to change and he doesn't want to, 
despite the, the power he has to punish us, he really wants us to feel his love and he really wants us to come back to him. And this made me think of a talk by Elder Neil L. Anderson called Repent That I May Heal You. And which I think is also a pretty well-known talk in the church. If if you haven't read it recently or at all, I would definitely encourage you to do that. But one part of his talk, he says, The invitation to repent is rarely a voice of chastisement, but rather a loving appeal to turn around and to return toward God. It is the beckoning of a loving father and his only begotten son to be more than we are, to reach out to a higher way of life, to change, and to feel the happiness of keeping the commandments. Being disciples of, of Christ, we rejoice in the blessing of repenting and the joy of being forgiven. They become part of us, shaping the way we think and feel. I love how he talks about that, that it's, it's rarely a voice of chastisement, but rather a loving appeal to, to turn around and to return toward God. And he goes on to say that I'm amazed at the Savior's encircling arms of mercy and love for the repentant, no matter how selfish the forsaken sin. I, and he says, I testify that the Savior is able to and able and eager to forgive our sins, except for the sins of those few who choose perdition after having known a fullness. There is no sin that cannot be forgiven. What a marvelous privilege for each of us to, to turn away from our sins and to come unto Christ. Divine forgiveness is one of the sweetest fruits of the gospel, removing guilt and pain from our hearts and replacing them with joy and peace of conscience. Jesus declares, Will you not now return return unto me and repent of your sins and be converted that I may heal you? And I love that. I feel like it just makes repentance seem like such an act of love. And it's such an act of, it's a imitation that they offer us because they love us so much. They, they want us to return to them. And so it's them, you know, pleading like, please, can you repent so that you can, I can heal you and I can help change you. I just think that's so powerful. And I know that's been my experience in repentance. It's not been one of, you're so terrible. How, how could you have done that? You know, I can't believe it, but just that I love you. And I want you to come back and I want you to feel the spirit again. And I want you to be one with us again. So please, will you repent that I can heal you? And I just think it's so powerful. Um, so Mike's going to share some thoughts too. He had some really neat thoughts, I thought, in Alma chapter 26. So here are Mike's thoughts. In Alma 26, we have this great um, account of Ammon and he is boasting in God. He is giving thanks and especially for the amazing experiences that they have just witnessed with um, many of the Lamanites converting something that many thought was impossible. But uh, towards the, uh, at the end of Alma 26, there's, there's these three verses that have stood out to me. Uh, every, every time I read them, they, they help me to realize how merciful the Lord is, um, how much He looks out for us. So I'm going to start, I'm going to read verses 35, 36, and 37. So, Now have not we reason to rejoice? Yea, I say unto you, there never were men that had so great reason to rejoice as we, since the world began. 
yet in my joy is carried away even unto boasting in my God. For he has all power, all wisdom, and all understanding, and he comprehendeth all things, and he is a merciful being, even unto salvation to those who will repent and believe on his name. So just pausing quickly, looking at, the, looking at this, this phrase, he is a merciful being. And now as I read these next two verses, I want you to pay attention to the word mindful. Okay. Um, if I remember correctly, it's said three times in these two verses. So thus, now if this is boasting, even so will I boast, for this is my life and my light, my joy and my salvation, and my redemption from everlasting woe. Yea, blessed is the name of my God, who has been mindful of this people, who are a branch of the tree of Israel, and has been lost from its body in a strange land. Yea, I say, blessed be the name of my God, who has been mindful of us wanderers in a strange land. Now, my brethren, we see that God is mindful of every people, whatsoever land they may be in. Yea, he numbereth his people, and his bowels of mercy are over all the earth. Now this is my joy and my great thanksgiving. Yea, and I will give thanks unto my God forever. So he, I, I really, he really is um, expressing gratitude in a way that, um, that I, I definitely wish I, I would do often. But looking at the word, the word mindful, it is said uh, one time in verse 36 and then, um, oh, sorry, it, it said twice in verse 36 and one time in verse 37. And he says that um, it is amazing that God has been merciful and has found them in a sense. Who's, he has kept track of them even though they have left Israel and they have sailed across the whole world. They're in this strange land. But on top of that, I think he's he says earlier that um, God could have easily just not saved Ammon, his, his brothers, and Alma when they were destroying the church. But he was merciful enough, and he was mindful of them and of the prayers of their family members that they would have a change of heart. But also, a third group is the Lamanites. God was mindful of these people. He didn't forget about them. That um, We go back to Lehi and also Enos, at least from, from my, my thoughts and memory, is that they, they both were given promises that the Lamanites would one day um, be taught the gospel. And this is several hundred years later, uh, and God truly kept them on his mind and was mindful. And so applying this to us, wherever we are in our strange land, quote unquote, or in our wilderness, or if we think we have been lost to God, God is truly mindful of us. Um, and he will find us even if we have walked away from him or if we think he can't find us, he will find us where we are and um, and is always thinking of us. And so I really like reading these verses, especially uh, focusing on the word mindful. So the next section is chapters Alma or Alma chapter 26 and 29 and it's titled serving the Lord brings joy. 
I feel like there's a lot of sections that are talked about in this Come Follow Me manual this week. So if you need to take a break, pause and then come back because I, I hope this doesn't get too long, but there's just a lot of really great things and great ideas that it asks us to think about. So if you need to take a little break, you can take it anytime, obviously, but this maybe could be a good time to take a break and then come back to this section. But in these two chapters, Ammon and Alma both have a chapter in this where they are expressing their joy that has come from them, come from sharing the gospel with the Lamanites. And it's really profound for both of them. In Alma chapter 26, it talks about that Ammon's expressing his joy so much that his brethren tell him that they think that he's sinning or that they're like, maybe you shouldn't be saying as much as you are because they of just how joy, he's just so filled with joy of all that's happened as a result of the Lord letting them be an instrument in his hands. And then in Alma chapter 29, Alma also expresses his joy. And in verses 9 and 10 of that chapter, it says, I know that which the Lord hath commanded me, and I glory in it. I do not glory of myself, but I glory in that which the Lord hath commanded me. Yea, and this is my glory, that perhaps I may be an instrument in the hands of God to bring some soul to repentance, and this is my joy. So, because he served and the people, he felt he found joy in bringing people to Christ. And he said in verse 10, And behold, when I see many of my brethren truly penitent and coming to the Lord their God, then is my soul filled with joy. Then do I remember what the Lord has done for me, yea, even that he hath heard my prayer. Yea, then do I remember his merciful arm, which he extended towards me. And I love, I just think these are really great chapters to show just how much joy that these missionaries felt as a result of serving the Lord. And I think that anybody who has shared the gospel or obviously who has served in any capacity can probably relate to these feelings of joy. And I can think back on my mission to people I taught and the, how joyful it was to see them change. And I can think of a woman, specifically her name was Marilena. And I remember, she, so her, how we met her was that her son had ordered a Bible, I believe, online. And so in the, in the area, wherever that request comes from, it's, you know, it's sent to the local missionaries. So this was sent to us. And so we went to deliver it. Well, I don't know if people know that, but like if you request that, a missionary is going to be the one that delivers it to you. So we went to deliver this um, Bible to him. And I remember Marilena in the back, his mom. So this is so we were meant to deliver this to a guy named Morgan. And then he lived with his mom. And I remember as we were talking to Morgan that his mom was just kind of like in the background. She kept like kind of walking back and forth between like her room and the kitchen or something like that. But we just, she was just, you could tell she was eyeing us. And so we, you know, we invited her to sit down. She eventually she did. And it was, she ended up being way more, I mean, they both actually ended up being baptized, but she, I thought that we were meant to go there to meet her and that Morgan was the way that we got there, if that makes sense. And, um, it was just so, it was a really neat experience to watch how, the things that we were teaching her were exactly what she had been looking for in her life and how we, we had the opportunity to help you know, teach her and she was baptized and 
I think I mentioned in the first episode, if it was, I think that that's what I'm thinking, if I'm remembering correctly, that I talked about the temple tour that in our mission that a guy would do that. We took her to temple tours. She, you know, after she was baptized, I believe she had a calling and she got received a patriarchal blessing. It was just like such a different person from then, from who we first met. And it was just, it was a, an amazing experience. And it was, I just, it was, it was, it was very joyful to me to be a part of that experience. And then there was another woman that we met. She was um, roommates with a member of the, the ward. So I was served in Orlando, like I mentioned, I was in the Disney college program ward. So her roommate, they both, I guess, worked for Disney and her roommate was a member. And I can't remember, I'm trying to think back now on the details if she wanted a Book of Mormon or if her roommate just had invited her to learn about it and that's how we got invited. I can't remember. But seeing her conversion brought so much joy as well. It was amazing to see that that's what she had been waiting for. And she became like a powerhouse and it was just, it was amazing. So it just, it, I remember it was, it did bring me a lot of joy to be a part of those two people's conversion. And it just, it's just wonderful. It's wonderful to see people change. It's wonderful to see people find that the gospel is what they're looking for, whether they knew it or not at the time. But when they were searching, they didn't know it was what they were looking for, but then they find it. And it's just amazing to see the joy that it brings. And I'm going to share, I guess, another, another example that just popped into my head as I was talking about this, but, uh, I remember one evening in our apartment complex in one of the areas I served in that we were contacting or tracking before bed or before we had to go in and we knocked on the door of this family and I remember going in and it was a family from, I want to say Venezuela, I think they were Spanish speaking, um, like at least like the mother and grandmother were, but the daughter, she spoke English. That's how we were able to communicate with people. But it was interesting as we were talking to her, we had a pass along card, I believe, or a pamphlet or something. And maybe it was the Book of Mormon too, actually. Hopefully that's what it was, but that we were sharing with the, the family. And I remember seeing the mom just like holding the Book of Mormon and you could just see her eyes were just so like, she was so happy. And we came to find out that she had been taught by missionaries in the seventies where they had lived before. And I want to say Venezuela, but I don't remember exactly if I'm thinking correctly, but it was, you know, in a different country. And it was so amazing to see how I, she didn't get baptized then. Um, and, but it was amazing to see how the power of just holding, I want to say it was the book of Mormon that she was holding, but or whatever it was that she was holding, it was reminding her of the feelings that she had at that point, like 30 plus years earlier as a child learning about the gospel and just seeing her like clutching it. And she was just so like, it was just amazing to see that this, it's like, it was so familiar. She'd forgotten, but then she'd remembered and that, that didn't have as happy of an ending for some reason. It just was like a, this like mystery home we never, ever saw her again. We would go back, but she was never there. And it was like, every time we would go back, there was these new people. So I don't know whatever happened to her, but for that moment, at least 
it was amazing to see the joy that that gospel was bringing to her at that moment, remembering what she had learned years before. So, um, and all this section talks about how service can bring us joy, but I also really loved, and I wanted, I kind of felt prompted to go into a little bit more depth about the topic of just joy itself. And I feel like this is something maybe that I felt that way because I personally need to, to rely on it more in my life right now. And I'm sure that I'm not the only one as well who needs it. I just feel like, I just know this past week, life just felt so heavy and I just felt like it was just so hard to feel joy. You know, if you're listening to this in real time, I just feel like this pandemic is just, ugh, it just feels like it's getting worse. Obviously, obviously it is, but it just felt so heavy to just read the news. I feel like every time I pull the news, it's like all this bad news all the time about it. And it just felt just feels very overwhelming to me and it just feels like oh just feels heavy so I maybe that's why I was prompted to think about this because I I feel like I need to be reminded of of joy again but I felt prompted to read a talk by President Nelson called Joy and Spiritual Survival and again as I mentioned in a previous talk if you haven't read this yet or if it's been a while since you read it I would highly highly recommend that you read it again especially right now in life. I think that it's very, very, very applicable to life right now. And it was given in the October 2016 General Conference. And President Nelson said in it, there's so many great takeaways. So I'm just going to share a few things, but I just encourage you to, to read this talk again and to, you know, personally take what you need to from the lesson or from that talk. But he says that life is filled with detours and dead ends trials and challenges of every kind each of us has likely had times when distress anguish and despair almost consume us yet we are here to have joy he was referring to in first nephi lehi was talking about um that we're here to have joy so he's like really you know with all that's happening here this is why we're here we're here to have joy and he goes on to say later in this talk that saints can be happy under every circumstance we can feel joy even while having a bad day, a bad week, or even a bad year. My dear brothers and sisters, the joy that we feel has little to do with the circumstances of our lives and everything to do with the focus of our lives. When we focus our, when the focus of our lives is on God's plan of salvation, which he mentioned President Thomas S. Monson had just given a talk, I guess, in this conference about that. So when our focus is on the of our lives is on God's plan of salvation and Jesus Christ and his gospel, we can feel joy regardless of what's happening or not happening in our lives. Joy comes from and because of him, he is the source of all joy. We feel it at Christmas time when we sing joy to the world, the Lord is come, and we can feel it all year round. For Latter-day Saints, Jesus Christ is joy. And then just one last quote from that talk. He says, joy is a gift for the faithful. It is the gift that comes from intentionally trying to live a righteous life as taught by Jesus Christ. And I don't know who else needed to hear that, but that was something I absolutely needed to be reminded of that we do receive joy from service and joy, you know, we, it's because of Jesus Christ that we can feel joy despite what's happening, despite all the sad things that are happening right now in life and all that's heavy 
that I love that he said it has little to do with the circumstances of our lives, but everything to do with the focus of our lives. And so I, I really hope that each of us can focus more on the savior and that we can, and that, you know, that can be done by serving other people as well. But the more that we focus on him, the more joy that we can feel, especially right now when life just feels so hard. We're at the last section. If you made it all the way here, I'm giving you a virtual high five for just sticking with it. I, again, I apologize. This is so long. There's just so many great things in these chapters. So, um, but the last section covers Alma chapter 26, and it's just a couple verses. It's verses five through seven, and it's titled "What Are Sheaves and Gardeners?" And in I just thought this was such an interesting section. I, I'm glad it was here. It was kind of different from a lot of other things that are spoken about. I guess maybe it's not necessarily really different, but it just, just interesting. So I'm grateful for this one. But it says, At harvest time, grain is often gathered into bundles called sheaves and placed in storehouses, sometimes called gardeners. And Elder Ben-Nar shared a possible inter- interpretation of the symbolism in Alma chapter 5. And so let me just read Alma chapter 5, uh, excuse me, Alma chapter 26, 5 through 7 here. So it says, Behold, the field was was ripe, and blessed are ye, for ye did thrust in the sickle, and did reap with your might. Yea, all the day long did ye labor, and behold the number of your sheaves, and they shall be gathered into the gardeners, gardeners, hopefully I'm saying that right, that they are not wasted. Yea, they shall not be beaten down by the storm at the last day, Neither shall, yea, neither shall they be harrowed up by the whirlwinds. But when the storm cometh, they shall be gathered together in their place, that the storm cannot penetrate to them. Yea, neither shall they be driven with fierce winds, whithersoever the enemy listeth to carry them. But behold, they are, they are in the hands of the Lord of the harvest, and they are his, and he will raise them up at the last day. I think it's such a cool scripture and such a, a neat um, I guess analogy, is that the right word? So I can't remember if I've shared this already, but my brain, I guess is tired, but so I'm going to share, he shared a possible interpretation of what the symbolism in this, in Alma chapter 26, verse five is. He says that the sheaves in this analogy represent newly baptized members of the church. The garners are the holy temple. And so it asks us to consider what the analogy teaches us about the importance of temple covenants. And I had never thought about that before. Maybe I have, it's just been a while, or maybe I just thought it was a really neat thing to point out how, what this teaches us about the importance of temple covenants. And I love that in verse six, it says, I'm going to pull it up one more time to make sure I'm saying it. I'm reading it right. But it says, yea, they shall not be beaten down by the storm of the last day. Yea, neither shall they be harrowed up by the whirlwinds. But when the storm cometh, they shall be gathered together in their place, that the storm cannot penetrate to them. Yea, neither shall they be driven with fierce winds, whithersoever the enemy listeth to carry them. And I think this is such a really powerful verse when it comes to the the power of our temple covenants. Um, To me, this is telling us that they protect us from the storms of life. And... 
I love that this analogy, especially right now, and I, you know, I remember as a missionary that when, we, when someone would get baptized, you know, it was like the next step for them now, obviously at that point it was, you know, about, they made a covenant of baptism and now it was to get them to the temple and how, you know, that was, it was, you know, reading this reminded me is because it was such a source of protection or it could be a source of protection for that member. And then to help them to feel more, um, what's the word, like just invested in the gospel. And I, I love, I was thinking about times when the temple has done that for me. And I can think of you know, many times that I have felt like the temple has protected me from the storms of life. Uh, and I guess I'll just share a couple, but I remember in, I lived in DC for three years. That's where I met Mike. But at one point, so I lived with my twin sister and her family, and then they moved to Korea, which was so sad. It was, I was so happy they went there. I just remember it was just a very sad day because I loved living with them. It was, I just remember it was a very tearful, sad time when they left because then I was just left in DC by myself. But, um, I remember at one point, I think I'd been living there like a year. I just, to this, I don't, I did not love living in DC. I think it's a really cool city to visit, but I just did not love living there. It was just too much for my Wyoming heart and soul to deal with. Too much traffic, too much, just, it was too much for me. So at one point I decided I wanted to leave and um, go back out West. And so I had quit my job and I had, you know, just, I, my mom actually flew out to DC to help me drive across the country to go back to Wyoming. And I remember the night before we were supposed to leave, I just did not feel like it was the right decision. So I didn't leave. So my mom hung out for a few days in DC and then flew home. So, and I think that largely I was not supposed to leave because I was supposed to meet Mike like a year later after that. But I remember after the initial experience of just feeling like I wasn't supposed to leave, just feeling really confused and just, I I had quit my job. And so I needed a new job because it's expensive to live in DC. And, um, so I remember going to the temple just with all these worries about like, I need to get this figured out. I need to get this figured out. I just felt like I was like telling Heavenly Father, I don't have the answer to any of these questions. Like, I need you to tell me, I need you to figure this out for me. And I remember before the session reading some scriptures and I think it, it's in third Nephi. And I am just sharing this, this story just came to my mind right now. So I'm, that's why I'm not super prepared, I guess, to share the scripture that I was reading, but it was the scripture of consider the lilies of the field that set of scriptures, how talks about how the Lord takes care of his creations and how we are, you know, greater than those. And so if he takes care of his, uh, takes care of like the grass and the field and the flowers and all these things, if he takes care of them, he'll take care of us. And I just felt really, that was a really powerful moment to me that even though I didn't know what was going to happen, that he reminded me that he would take care of me and he did. And it worked out great. And, um, he absolutely, I guess, fulfilled that promise, but that was just a really, I remember that being in the temple was just a really powerful moment. And I just, I felt like life was hard in a lot of ways in DC. There's lots of just, it was just hard, but I just remember finding so much protection and solace in the temple and I remember a couple of years before that in the Idaho Falls Temple going through a breakup or trying to figure out relationship stuff and 
feeling so much peace in the temple about the decision that I had made and just, I felt like I just felt so empowered to make this decision because I just felt the love of God so much to know that there was greater things in store for me than what was currently happening in life. So I definitely have felt it to be a place of protection for me in my life. And it's, you know, it's sad to think about how the temples now are closed. And I, it made me think about president Nelson in this past conference talked about temples and how they're closed. But then he shared some really neat things I wanted to, to share here. He talked about in that Wilder, Wil, Wilfred Woodruff said in the dedicatory prayer at the Salt Lake Temple, um, and it was, I think, a kind of prophecy for what is happening now, but I wanted to share some things that he shared from, from that prayer. But he said, this is, what, this is Elder Woodruff saying in the dedicatory prayer. He said, Hear these pleadings from a mighty prophet of God, when thy people shall not have the opportunity of entering this holy temple, and they are oppressed, they are oppressed and in trouble, surrounded by difficulties, and shall turn their faces towards this, thy holy house, and ask thee for deliverance for help, for thy power to be extended in their behalf, we beseech thee to look down excuse me, from thy holy excuse me, holy habitation in mercy and listen to their cries, or when the children of thy of thy people in years to come shall be separated through any cause from this place, which is currently what's happening, they shall and they shall cry unto the unto thee from the depths of their affliction and sorrow to extend relief and deliverance to them. We humbly entreat thee to hearken to their cries and grant to them the blessings for which they ask. And it's just so powerful to see how you know prophecy is fulfilled. But President Nelson goes on to say in this talk, Brothers and sisters, during times of our distress, when temples are closed, you can still draw upon the power of your temple covenants and endowment as you honor your covenants. Please use this time when temples are closed to continue to live, to live a temple-worthy life or to become temple-worthy. Talk about the temple with your family and friends. Because Jesus Christ is at the center of everything we do in the temple, as you think more about the temple, you'll be thinking more about him. Study and pray to learn more about the power and knowledge with which you have been endowed or with which you will yet be endowed. I think this was such a good reminder to me. I've I've had to remi- remind myself of this on and off throughout the, the pandemic as temples have been closed. And I have... I still, as I'm reading this again now, I'm like, ah, Ashley, remember this. Like, this is what you, like, the prophet is telling you to do this. So this is where I'm repenting and I will do better about this to talk about the temple with my friends and family. And, and I, I just love the idea that we can still draw upon the power of the temple of our temple covenants as we honor them, even if we cannot physically be in the temple, I guess at this point, Many temples are in phase one where people can be sealed, but we can't as patrons go and, you know, participate in ordinances. And honestly, it's like, I'm thinking, I don't even know the next time I'll be able to go to the temple. You know, I'm having a baby in four weeks about and moving to Texas like two weeks after that. And, you know, things are getting bad in Texas or getting worse in Texas with the virus. And it's just like with a newborn, like, I don't even know the next time I'll be able to go to the temple, honestly with all that's happening and will happen. And so I, this is a really neat reminder for me 
that even if I can't physically go to the temple, that I still can draw upon the powers of the power of the temple and of my covenants in my life. And I, I feel very grateful for that, that even if we can't be there, that those covenants can still have a profound impact in our life. And I, I want to be better at remembering these things that President Nelson told us to do, to draw upon, to help those power, the power of the temple be more real in our life. And I just love that section. It was such, when I got to it, I was like, oh, I don't know why I didn't think about this. It just seemed kind of like this like little random thing inside of it. But I, I hope that you guys can also reflect on your experiences in the temple. And as President Nelson shared in his talk there that, um, while it's closed to please continue to live a temple worthy life or to become temple worthy. So I think this is a great time for us to reflect on, on that, you know, where we're doing in life. And then also kind of going back to the rest of this lesson is, you know, that's to do with our conversion, how, how converted are we to the Lord? And I think by deepening our conversion, that helps us to become more temple worthy. So when the time comes that we can, worship in the temple again, that we would be prepared to do that and that we'll feel the power of the temple. So this is a great lesson. Like I said, there's so much packed into these chapters. I I hope that in some way something I shared helped you spur a thought, if nothing else, of something maybe you can study further. You know, I think one thing is that I hope this can just be like a good supplement to what you're reading and your Come Follow Me reading. Um, I don't know, I don't, I guess, always share all the specific details of the stories, and maybe that's something I should do, but I, I just kind of take, try to take away the lessons that are learned from the stories that are shared in these sets of scriptures. So I hope that you are feeling the spirit as you've been reading your Come Follow Me, the lessons each week, and I hope this is, this is helping in some way for you to feel the spirit, and, you know, if you feel like it's helping you, I would just ask maybe if you can share it with someone else that you think that might help that might help them as well and fill in the Lord fill in the spirit during this time but I am grateful for you guys I'm grateful for those who listen I hope that it's helping you in some way I know it's helping me to feel of the spirit more in my life and I will see you guys next time